Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 301 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today will help you lead like never before. This is a fun one, man. It's Albert Tate this week, and Albert is uh, has quickly become one of my favorite speakers. He is absolutely hilarious if you've ever heard him speak, and you probably also know if you're a regular listener, I'm a little bit um, perhaps envious slash also a student of really funny communicators because I think it's a really hard thing to do on stage. And so we break down comedy. How do and he's got some really good insights. I hadn't thought about it. Like if if you've ever heard Albert, he usually starts by like roasting someone for 10 minutes and he's roasted me a few times at conferences that we've spoken together. We actually uh, recorded this live in San Diego. We were both speaking at the sticky teams conference on the West coast. And it was just a lot of fun to sit down together behind the stage, backstage, and have this conversation. We also did a flip the mic, so I will be on his podcast uh, this year. So you can uh, check out Albert on his podcast. And Albert is a pastor, soon to be an author. Also, uh, like I said, one of my favorite speakers. And just, uh, we talk about a lot of things. And actually, he gets really personal after we talk about comedy, talks about his struggle with porn accountability and sex, we get really personal about sort of the backstory of leadership and the pressures of leadership. And I think you're really going to find this a helpful conversation. Hey, a couple things we want to tell you about before we jump into more of the show. If you are looking to really grow in 2020 as a church and who isn't, Pro Media Fire and Pro Web Fire are creating a custom tailored plan for 20 churches to ignite church growth in 2020. This isn't for everybody. They're only accepting 20. You have to apply, but it includes strategies such as digital outreach on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, custom graphics and videos, and a new church website. It's custom tailored to your church. Here are the requirements. You got to be prepared for growth and have systems in place. Okay. So you got to be ready and serious about it. Secondly, you got to be willing to make a monthly financial investment throughout 2020, but in return, you'll get a discount of up to 30% off the normal rate of services. And they want you to be able to provide a testimony. So if you're ready for church growth and you need some help reaching more people, apply online today. Only 20 churches will be accepted. Applications can be received only through December 1st. So act now by going to promediafire.com forward slash 2020. If you've been looking for that turnkey custom tailored solution, this is probably your chance. Promediafire.com slash 2020. Also, I so love our listeners. I, I One of the reasons I love being on the road is I get to talk to you in every city we go to. And guess what? You guys have already saved over, are you ready for this? A million dollars on healthcare. Simply by listening to this podcast and going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. Yeah. Uh, Remodel Health is a new company that has already helped people save $7.2 million. A million dollars has come from listeners of this podcast who have said, you know what? We're going to provide the same or better benefits for our staff and plow that money back into the mission at the same time. So here's what Remodel Health does. Most healthcare plans, they're just like, yeah, here's a one size fits all, which of course never fits everybody. And they actually do the time through technology to figure out, okay, you've got 20 employees, they have 20 different needs. And so what happens when you're done with Remodel Health is you get custom tailored plans that provide the same or greater level of benefits to your team at a much lower rate. And that's where podcast listeners have already saved over a million dollars. So if you're interested in becoming one of those churches or faith-based organizations that wants to save money, visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to learn more and download their health insurance buyer's guide. Hey guys, we got an Ask Carrie coming up at the end of the show. If you listen to the very end, the question is, what is one piece of advice you have received that has helped you dramatically shape your approach to leadership? I don't think I've ever talked about this piece of advice I'm going to give you, but it's very true. It's nuanced, but it's very true. I'll give that to you at the end of the show. And in the meantime, so thrilled to bring you my conversation with Albert Tate. 
I'm so glad to have Albert Tate on the podcast. This has been a long time coming, Albert. Oh, yeah. I've been waiting. I've been calling my mom. The prayer team has been praying. <laughs> like, Lord, one day. One day. I'll be on the new off. Well, I've been on your show, right? Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. That's what made it awkward with the prayer request because I hadn't been on yours yet. And it took right, a while. Like, but where is this where's, guy? Where's the love, bro? Where's the love? <laughs> so finally, I am feeling the love. It's a privilege and an honor, seriously. Oh, bro, good. you are like the leadership guru. What God has been doing in your ministry, in, in your journey, just helping leaders. I told you, I heard about you. I was getting ready to go on the sabbatical, and I said, what do I need to be listening to? And he was giving me this long list, and he said, of course, Kerry Newhoff. I said, no, I hadn't heard. Who is that? He said, forget everything else I've said. Just listen to Kerry Newhoff, and that'll take you for your whole sabbatical. And he was 100% right. Well, that's why we're doing one-hour episodes, <laughs> right? We got to fill up some people's sabbaticals, sabbaticals, baby. But that's how I heard about you, So, I, and I've been hooked ever since. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, you're a pastor, you planted a church, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but yeah. you're you're an incredible public speaker because mm. we've been at the same events. Actually, that's what we're doing here right now. Yeah. We're at Sticky Teams together. You and I are both keynoting. Yeah. Today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever. I have the hardship of coming after you tomorrow. Oh, well, that, yeah. I, at least I don't have to follow you, so <laughs> that's good. Because one of the things I've noticed, you seem to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, you've spoken at the Global Leadership Summit yeah. a few times. Yeah. And... Um, what is that? Like 200,000 liters? Like it's it's insane. Oh, yeah. Well, when you count the international thing, the number the numbers get crazy. Upwards of three to 400,000. Yeah, yeah. It gets crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And and you always make me laugh. I remember we were in Nashville <laughs> and I spoke before you. You followed me and you just spent basically 10 minutes making fun of me. But in, in the best way. It was like I was trying to get a copy of that to play for oh, my, my wife. Oh, my goodness. That's called insecurity at its best, Carrie. Oh, come That's what on. it is. <laughs> come on. And then, and then you made that that uh, that thing. You did the slow jam announcements yes. at Global Leadership Summit. If yeah. some of you saw that in yeah. August of 2019. I think it's on YouTube now. I think you can Is it on YouTube? Okay, we're going to link to it. Oh, we're going to link to it. It'll yeah. be great. And uh, you also made the comment about Pat Lencioni. It's like, yes. yeah, yeah. You want to walk it. It's never as funny the second time, but walk no, us through it's what never, you did. I mean, they, there's this amazing testimony that happens where this guy in Pakistan, this pastor who was about to take his life, came to the Global Leadership Summit the year I was speaking. And he said something that I said... Um, the Holy Spirit used to just spark renewal in him. Mm-hmm. And he ended up um, recommitting his life to ministry, leaning in, and his church is doing well. So it's, it's basically about this pastor that my talk saved his life And they play in this video. Right? And they play this they video. Play this video so this that's story. the background. And I know that I, it's not me that did it, but I that backdrop. But then I say, but you would think that the leadership summit would have invited me back to speak by now, but they haven't. And Patrick Lincioni is there every year. He ain't never saved nobody's life in Pakistan, but they got him up there every year. We don't even know if he's saved or not. You know what I mean? He he is because I led him to Christ backstage after this last summit. But, you know, but they, they got this guy back. So I'm like, yo, can a brother come back to the leadership summit? You know, so that was the, that was the joke. <laughs> I'm dying listening to that. I mean, it's just so much fun. And what are the, if regular listeners will know. One of the things I wish I was was more funny in my delivery. We have a lot of fun in life, but that yeah. is a really difficult thing to do yeah. on stage. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. How how do you create those moments in your talk? Because a lot of it seems unscripted. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Well, it is. It's it's very unscripted, but I think I have um, subconsciously a knack for looking for the funny moment mm-hmm. and then knowing when to take it and when not to take it. One of the beautiful things that happened, though, uh, when you talk about ministry, when you talk about pastoring and preaching, when people laugh, yes. everything opens up, not just physically emotionally, spiritually. And once you can get that heart open and then you come behind it and you say a very hard truth that probably wouldn't have been as easily digested if they hadn't taken time to open up through laughter. So laughter is literally good for the soul. It opens you up. It's a great medicine. And so if you can leverage humor, oh, the word of God can sink that farther. I've had people, one of the most comments I get is people to say, Albert, I was laughing and then I was crying. Mm. So it's one of those things where using humor not to be entertaining or not to just be like, oh man, that was a good show. You made me laugh. But to be able to leverage that to say, so the biggest compliment to me is not that you made me laugh, but you made me laugh and then you said something really hard and it hit me. Mm. That means the laughter worked. Um, so that's the difference between a comedian and a preacher, I think. You, but but we learn from comedians, though, like Dave Chappelle, Mike Jr., Kevin Hart. These guys, they usually say some pretty difficult things, 
but we're able to hear it and receive it because we're laughing. So God uses the ministry of laughter to deepen the word in our souls. Yeah, I've seen that principle. We actually program to it at our church sometimes where if we know we're talking about something really sensitive like mm. sex or money or yeah. something where people's backs are up, yeah. we will actually say in a programming meeting, hey, we need a comedic moment at some point. If it's yeah. not in the message, it has to be earlier because I think you're right. Like, like physiologically, Something happens. Something happens when yeah. you're when you're belly laughing, and then all of a sudden you're open. Yeah, to it. and then so, you say something hard. Um, Chris Brown, who's a great communicator, great teacher at North Coast Church in San Diego, he actually said this, and I interviewed him on my podcast, and he said he actually prays for comedic moments. He prays mm. to that the Lord will give him something funny. And I never thought about doing that. No, I hadn't thought about that uh, But I thought, wow, because if it is spiritual, why not pray for it? Why not yeah. ask God to speak? I've just never thought about it. But ever since he said that, I was like, Lord, help me to be funny. Uh, help me to speak truth. Help me to make huge impact. But praying for comedic moments is, was an interesting prayer request. That, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about that. That's good because my problem is, you know, conferences are a lot easier than church because you can reuse you, you, a lot of the jokes. Yes, yes. Right? And you know where the funny <laughs> is. Do. You know what works. You know what? Week after week, bro. It's those hard. Of us, at it's your hard because you don't know where it is. You don't know where the funny is. I don't know. I can't write to it. I've got to fill it in the room. Some people have the mm. gift of just being able to write it and they know it works. There are things, and preachers will relate to this, there are things that I thought were going to be, whoa, this is going to blow up in the oh, room. Yeah. And then I get to it, and it's a dud. And it's absolutely nothing. And there are things that I thought was just a passerby that ends up taking the whole room. So if you have the privilege of preaching more than one service, uh, that first service, I'm still writing. So by the <laughs> second service, I mean, because I hadn't gotten the audience input, I think in order for me to write a sermon, I need to contribute by way of the Holy Spirit's leading, but the audience also gets to contribute. And after they've contributed, then I feel like I've got a whole talk because they've told me what kind of what what, re what resonates with them in a significant way. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And the hardest thing too is coming up with new content every week, oh, right? When you're when it's you're brutal. because then you're like, well, I've already used that joke, I've already told that story, I've already I've already said something like that, and yeah. you're looking for fresh content yeah. all the time. The other thing I've got some encouragement from some older preachers is, you know, use it again. They weren't there. And if mm. they were there, they don't remember. We, we, we are way, our illustrations are way overrated in our head. We think, <laughs> I, we, I used that before. Nobody's going to, they weren't, I mean, they were into it, but not that much. You can come back eight weeks later and tell the same story and you'll get the same reaction. Half those people weren't even at church that Sunday you used it. So sometimes we overthink it. Like Easter Oh, I pull out the greatest hits from the previous year. Like, because, you know, you got to be hitting on all cylinders on Easter. All tried stories. No new stuff. I'm grabbing stuff that I know that have worked. The people hadn't heard it. I've never gotten a complaint where it says, hey, you've used that story before. It messed up my spiritual experience to hear it again. <laughs> it's never happened before. Never happened. You know, I learned that when Mark and I, we were talking about preaching courses. You're going to do one. But when Mark Clark and I did The Art yes, of Better Preaching, yes. and we were developing the content for that course, he said, reuse your stories. And I'm like, even at your church? And he's got like this massive church in Vancouver. And he's a young communicator. He's like, dude, I use them like, I'll, I'll do my Mark imitation. I know, because that sounds you know, like him. That sounds like Mark. Smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's what it sounds well, like. Well, he used to. I guess <laughs> when you start at 12 and you stop at 19, that's what you sound like at 38. Hey, it but works for him. We love you, Mark. But he's like, dude, I'll use them like every three weeks. And nobody remembers, right? That's Mark. So, sorry, that's Mark. That's a great impersonation. That's that is great. totally Mark, though, right? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. He sounds like he drinks a lot of beer and a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> But he's a great godly man. Thank yes, you. He Thank is. Praise yes, God he from us. No emails, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So talk about comedic timing, comedic moments. You said you have eyes for that kind of thing. What do you look for? You feel a feeling of the room. You kind of know when the room is with you and when they're not. I think a lot of communicators read the paper and they need to be trained on how to read the room. Mm. Um, because you can capture the paper, but if the room isn't ready to receive it, you can just tell when the room exhales on a point. Uh, you kind of read the posture and the motion and the the disposition of the room. And you kind of, I'm just over the years, I've just kind of got a feel for when they get it and then I'm able to move on. Or when there's some tension building and it's like, okay, we need to release some of this tension. We need something funny right here. Or when the room, when you don't have the room, like I'm, I was teaching at Willow Creek a couple of weeks ago. And Willow Creek is this big auditorium, but the cool thing oh, yeah. about the auditorium is- It's really, like 8,000 seats, right? It's really, it, it's got an intimate feel and mm. you can see everybody. So you can see each other. There are two guys walking from the back 
all the way down to the front row. And then they get to the front row and they're looking for something. So they're like ushers. So they're digging <laughs> around. And bro, I just know I don't have the room. Everyone's, everyone's looking at these guys. looking at them, right? So then that's my rule. If I don't have the room and everyone's looking at them, then I call out. I said, hey, guys, y'all good? Y'all looking for something? It's not a bomb or anything, is it? Okay, should we be alarmed? <laughs> y'all just going to walk slow like that, huh? All righty. Okay, y'all going to leave? Okay, see you later. Thanks for interrupting the message. Thanks. Now we can get back. Now, some people think, oh, my goodness. But the thing is, I didn't have the room anyway. So right, to keep throwing right. my good content on an audience that I know isn't listening at that point, I'd rather call out the distraction, refocus the room, and keep going. It's like when the phone rings. It's like mm-hmm. if it rings one time, I won't call it out. If it rings two times, uh, no. But if it's ringing three times, I'm like, all right, Jesus may be calling somebody. Can somebody answer that, please? <laughs> Can somebody please, thank you, answer that. Tell Jesus, I said, I'm working on what we talked about, uh, delivering this message, call back later. You know, like, (laughs) because everyone's now paying attention to the phone. So don't, learning how to leverage and use distractions to advance the moment. So now people are excited, people are laughing, and they're ready for my next point, and we can Mm. go on to the next thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So what about um, preparing for a message? Like you you say you notice things. Yeah. So you're noticing things in the room. You're watching the crowd. But what about when you're writing a message? Yeah. Do you pre-script those moments or is it more spontaneous? No. Or like, how do you have comedic eyes? So I'm a, a mutual friend. I'm sure you know John Acuff, right? Yeah. I'm with John Acuff last week. We're speaking at the same event and we're in the green room just getting ready to go on. And he's like cracking five jokes about what's on on the buffet. And I'm like, that is a set of eyes. And I've talked to John about this before, but I'm just so interested in people who are really good at something, sort of Mm. deconstructing, okay, I want to see the world through your eyes. I want to see what you see. So what are some patterns? What are some things that you notice that other people like me might miss? So when I'm at a conference like this, when I'm sitting in the room and I know I'm about to come up and speak, I'm looking for a point of reference of what people are thinking mm. that no one is saying that I can get up and call out and oh, say. Oh, you're looking for the elephant in the room? I'm looking for the elephants in the room. And they could be bad. They could be small. They could be something interesting. And sometimes it's nothing at all. So two things. So, I'm, so I'll talk about in the room and I'll talk about the writing process. The writing process for me is the first two minutes I need to win the room. Yep. And how I win the room, some people win it through storytelling. I, I win it through comedic, something funny, something open. And it could be a story that sets up something funny or something like that. But- I was really nervous. I was going to preach at Bishop Kenneth Almer's church, one of the most influential, largest churches in Los Angeles and Inglewood. Um, and Bishop Kenneth Almer is a mentor of mine. I'm preaching uh, seven, 8,000 African-American church. Um, it's it's amazing. So, But it's me going to like Mecca. It's me going home. And I was like, bro, I'm so nervous. He was like, man, you'll be nervous until you get your first laugh. Hmm. And I didn't even know that's how I came at it, but he helped to describe something that I do always. When I get that first laugh, my nerves are done. We got a connection with one another. Yeah, me too. So in my first two minutes, I want to be very strategic about my first two minutes. I want to be very intentional that I introduce myself well and I do something to win them over to make them decide, all right, I'm going to put my phone down and I'm actually going to pay attention to this guy because I'm competing against Instagram. I'm competing against Twitter. I'm competing against uh, ESPN. So I got to grab them on those first two minutes. And how I do that is through comedy. So I would try to write something that captures. And I got a couple of those in my pocket, you know, so I got mm. a couple of ones that's tried and true and that's funny. But like when I'm at a conference and when you had pastors and leaders and they've heard the stuff before, it's harder because they do this for a living. So you really got to work hard to get them. Mm-hmm. So what I'll yeah, do is- You know what, you know what, if you're at a conference, all the pastors are there thinking, how come I'm not up? How come it's Tate? Oh, how yeah. come it's New Hop? Yeah, yeah. Why I did can they do invite this. them? I, so I, I can gotta, do this. I got to grab it. I do it better. It. So one of, the, <laughs> one of the funniest things and one of the most inappropriate. So so when I when you talk about me roasting you, I grab uh-huh. you because I know everybody loves you. Everybody's uh, just enamored by who you are. So it's easy to poke fun at you. I did it with Rick Warren. Rick, okay. Warren, Rick Warren had just got up and spoke. He's at a church planning conference, right? Right. And these are church planners praying about getting off the ground, all this other kind of stuff. And Rick gets up to inspire us. And he says, the Bible says we should, we should go to all nations. Well, I just thought one day we should go to all nations. So we put together a team in October 16th, 2016. We went to the final nation. We, <laughs> Saddleback has been in every nation. And I get up and I'm like, way to inspire us, Rick. Great. You went to every nation. I'm just trying to go to my neighborhood and struggling, trying to get a budget. And you've gone to every nation. I want to quit before I even get started. So I just went because every pastor out there is kind of low-key thinking that. They're kind of thinking, 
And it's not a reason to disqualify his message, but it actually qualifies the message to say, don't be intimidated by the numbers. Look at his passion. Look at his commitment. Look at his prayer life. Look at his tenacity. Same thing with Francis Chan. I got in trouble for this one because Francis, we were at Exponential. And we got to the end of it. And I said, and I know you guys look at us, Francis up here. Francis talking about do this stuff. And, you know, he sold a million books. He's rich. So it's easy to say this stuff when you're rich. No wonder you be crying all the time, Francis. I cry too. Jesus, you gave me a million dollars. This is great. <laughs> Dude, the room was busting up. I got a couple of bad emails, though, so I heard you. I'm not picking on Francis. But my point was, don't allow the the success of people on stage to disqualify their message. Mm. You don't get the right, because if you look at Francis's life, he gave most of the money away. He did, And yeah. continues to, and he lives very generously. Rick Warren lives very generously, gives a lot of stuff away. Don't allow people's success in their platform to disqualify their message. If I had the prayer life of Francis Chan, mm. if I had the passion and the pursuit of God in his heart that he has— Oh my goodness, I'll be a much better preacher, a much better pastor, a much better father. Don't allow his success to disqualify him. So since I know that's how people are thinking, I'll just go there to call it out just so that way it's not another stumbling block to keep them from receiving the word. And mm. it's and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, okay, so I, I want to name the elephant in the room right now. Okay. And that is there are some people listening who are like, really? You think the first like we're preaching the word of God here, or you're communicating a timeless truth. And the first two minutes is you got to get the room and you've got to make people laugh. Like I can imagine some people are saying, isn't that just like, yeah, they're just pushing back against that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you yeah. because I think the same thing. I'm like, is the crowd with me or not? Exactly. Do they? And I'm not like a people pleaser, but at yeah. a certain point, if they don't like you, they're not listening. If they oh, haven't yeah. connected with you, they're not listening. Yeah. Can we drill down on that a little bit? Yeah, let's drill down. First of all, for the people that feel that way, go have a pack of cigarettes and a, a six-pack <laughs> of beer. Like, relax, bro. Take the edge off. Um, I'm just... Actually, I'm just kidding. It all depends on your denominational background. Uh, I think um, I'm going to leave that in. Um, um, yeah, you should. Yeah. No, I think when you... Jesus Christ was a master communicator. He was a yeah. master communicator. And he used stories and illustrations. I'm not saying you need to use comedy, but when you stand and you deliver the word of God... It is the most transformative book. These are the most powerful words. They are worthy of your due diligence and for you not to deliver them off of some... You, they they de they deserve to be delivered with your best effort. So in the first two minutes, you get to awaken the souls of people. Mm. You get to bring them alive and declare, hear ye, hear ye, the word of the Lord. Now, however you do hear ye, hear ye is up to you. If you want to use yeah. comedy, if you want to use an illustration, but Jesus would always start off, he would say, there, was, there were two men walking in a field. And immediately he's got people's attention because they know what it's like to be men walking in a field. And he talks about them putting their hand to the plow. And whoever looks back isn't worthy of the king. Man. Now, he hadn't started talking about the biblical truth. He's just using a story to illuminate the biblical truth. He's doing a hear ye, hear ye, listen. I'm about to say something hard and true, but if you hear it, it'll change your life. So it's worthy of the setup. The word of God is worthy of the setup. It's not that it needs it or you're adding to it. No, don't be ridiculous. But Jesus Christ is setting up with parables and with illustrations the greater biblical truth so that it might change your life. So when we stand before people in a culture that has a really low view of scripture, a really low view of the church, we get to stand and say, hear ye, hear ye, listen to me. I've got something powerful to say. It is worthy of your attention. That's what your first two minutes should mark. However you use that, you may want to use a song. You may want to use an illustration. You may want to just tell a story about yourself, or you may just want to get into the scripture. Some people use that and it works. Just make it good. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. It's worthy of a hear ye, hear ye. Do you think whether you're preaching or even if you're giving a talk, like a TED talk, within the first 60 seconds, are people making a decision about whether they're in or not? A hundred percent. Okay. I think, I'm sure there's a stat somewhere that proves that, but ever since I've been schooled, for, for the 20 years I've been doing this, I've always been told people decide whether they're going to listen to you in the first 60, 60 seconds, two minutes, they're, they're deciding whether they're going to listen to you. And then, you know, if you don't believe that stat, just think about yourself. Think about that. The next mm -hmm. time you go listen to somebody, look at, look at your posture the first two minutes. And if they get you, they got you. If not, they can get you back later. They'll, they can try to grab you along the way, but they're... By this point, they're having to drag you along. Yeah, you're, you're not, on your phone or whatever. Exactly. You're and so I have done that. As oh, a listener, all I'm the time. like, all you the know time. what? 
like, I'm not listening right now, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden the talk catches fire and I'm like, I put down my phone. And it's like, yo, let me listen. I'm going to listen. Carrie, there are people right now listening to this podcast that checked out, that just checked back in because they were like, yo, this is getting good. Let me pay attention. <laughs> no, it's 100% true. And that's just the nature of, of, of how people relate to other people when yeah. you're communicating. And- just because they're in the room, don't assume you have their attention. Exactly. Don't assume, mm-hmm. don't take it for granted. And as a communicator, as preachers of the gospel, it's our responsibility to make this message, um, not to make this message, but to deliver this message in a way that's worthy of its content yeah. and worthy of its richness. So we got to do our due diligence. The word has its own power, which is far greater than any power 100%. I can bring to it. Yeah. But I don't want you know just the scripture itself to be the only interesting part of the message. Yes. I want to try to to help draw people's attention yes. to that. Yeah, and in, in, in another way to say that is, I don't, the, the word is great and powerful. I don't want to be a distraction from the greatness and the power of the word. Yes. So if, if, if it's above, if it's amazing and I'm mediocre, that's a problem. Now mm. my mediocrity is getting in the way of the greatness of the scripture. Mm. Yeah, speak the word. Anything else on comedy, like what you look for, if you see something funny during the week, do you write it down or, or is this just like a mental thing? It's more of a stance or- no, I'll I'll capture I'll I'll see something funny like my kids will do something really funny I'll be like ah oh, that's a good illustration that'll be a good funny moment and it's not necessarily always comedic but just illustrations I'm just always looking for better because we're translators mm. we we communicate and we have to translate every single week so I'm always looking for a better way to say something so you say I'm always looking for parables whether it's in the news whether it's with my kids argument me and my wife got into uh, a story, a movie, something that's happening in culture. I'm always gleaning. So in some sense, I'm always writing. I'm always consuming content because you've got to deliver on such a regular basis. And I'm always looking for a better way to say something. Hmm. Anything else about your, because I I love your communication. Anytime I've heard you, it's been uh, fantastic. Anything else about a message or talk design process? Mm. How, How do you do that? How do you break that down? Um, I mean, I think the simple way, which is very elementary, but it's, um, you look for the, the context, uh, what is the scripture saying? Is there a way for me to illustrate what it's saying? And then I can apply what it's saying, uh, apply it to them. And this is where the black church and black pastors have been so influential and so impactful. They do this better than anyone. They don't leave anything on the table. With application, they bring it all the way to your neighborhood so that you can begin to see yourself in the passage. They don't leave it for you to figure out oftentimes. They what would an example close. be? Um, like, okay, how would how would a non-black preacher handle it and how would a black preacher handle well, it? Well, in white culture, what I've, what I've experienced is there's a lot of, um, here's what's happening in the text. Uh, here's an illustration of what's happening in the text. Um, Let's close our eyes and let's pray and consider these <laughs> thoughts. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And not to be derogatory or anything. Obviously, they're phenomenal. I've been shaped by phenomenal white communicators. What I've what I experienced and loved about the black church is one one guy comedically says it this way. He, he's talking about. He's like, man, in a white church, they be talking about the Garden of Gethsemane and where it is and what Jesus was at the black church. They'd be like, what's your Gethsemane? What's what's your place? You see what I'm saying? So it's uh-huh. not that Jesus is just in the garden, but as we live in live our lives, there'll be seasons and places where we will find ourselves sitting in that same garden. Mm-hmm. And how do we identify that? Some of you are experiencing divorce right now. Some of you are experiencing uh, a hard season in ministry right now. And you would say, Lord, let this cup pass for me. I don't want this trial but you're willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Some of you are sitting in that same seat right now. What does that mean for you? Hmm. Masterful at bringing that to that personal application. Person, people's like, and I'm not saying, I'm using generalization, so I don't, don't no, email. No, I hear what you're saying. Uh, about white people do do that. But culturally, we, are, we tend to be strong on application uh, as well as gospel centricity, and black preachers are just phenomenal. And I mention that because in seminaries, a lot of those books, a lot of those black pastors aren't mentioned uh, in, no. in seminaries and homiletic classes. So you, it would do yourself some good to, to, to check some of those out. I had what I would consider to be a fantastic preaching professor, I learned so much. But one of the things he taught us was do not do the application for your audience. Assume intelligence. And I learned within a few years, like in other words, you know, uh, exactly what you said. Yeah. White preaching, it would be like, here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you know what to do with this. Let's pray. Yeah. And I realized early on, a few years in, it's like people have no idea what to do with that. No it idea. It is my job 
to say, what is your application point? Can you talk more about that? Like, how do you make specific application? Do you run through a list of like what people in your church or in that audience are struggling with? Yeah. Well, let's look at, let's look at Jesus. Jesus uses these farming, agricultural metaphors all the time. Why? Because a lot of the people you were talking to were farmers. They were people that worked out in the field. So when he talks about seed and good ground, they immediately pull up images and they know exactly what he's talking about. So he's bringing an application to them. You're a farmer. Don't allow the seed to get on raw. So your heart needs to be open. Is, Is this word falling on good ground? So he's giving parables that are directly applicable to the reality of their life. So you look around in your congregation, if you've got a blue-collar congregation, or if you've got a really mixed, our congregation is very diverse. So we've got single folks, we've got married folks, we've got uh, hundreds of college students. So I'll talk about, hey, some of your biggest struggle is uh, a failure last semester. You had a bad relationship that went bad, and God is saying, I want to renew it this, this year. I want to do something new. Don't fall back into the old traps of last semester. So in my sermons, I'll actually say semester because I know that's resonating with students who are in college in my audience. I'll say to my single brothers and sisters who are navigating singleness. A lot of times in church, we talk about parenting. We talk about marriage. Single people are just sitting there just hoping they can catch a nugget. Cut your, cut your, can anybody see us here? There are single people here. So I call them out. Single people, you're navigating relationships, navigating community. We had a pastoral team meeting, and we've got single people on our staff, and I said, I want our families to be a priority. Now, here's the deal. When I say family, single people assume that I'm not talking to them. So I have to then qualify, and I say, so I say, here's the vision. I say to to my married folks, um, don't allow your spouse to use the ministry as an excuse for not making you first. Mm. So family's first, and you're hearing it from the senior pastor, I want your family to be first. So if you're at home, and they're saying, well, I got to get this done, I got to get this work done, and they're blaming them not being present on us, I want you to know that's not because of us. Don't allow marriage and your family to become second. Now, they need to prioritize, they need to be organized, but a lot of spouses who work for people in ministry get frustrated with the church because we feel like the mistress because their husband isn't present or their wife isn't present because they're at work. So work Hmm. becomes the deal. So I didn't want to call that out. But then, so I'm having this moment with our staff And married people are like grabbing each other's hands and like, yeah, and they're relating. But I got my single people sitting there looking like, and I said, and single people, your family comes first as well. And you've got community. I want to see on Instagram you hanging out with your friends. Hmm. I want to see on Instagram you having a life outside of church. Because just because you're single doesn't mean that you need to live here in the church. Some of you, your friends are like, I hadn't seen you since you started working at that church. That's not okay. I want your friends to know who you are. I want you to have relationships. I want to see you turning up on Instagram in a godly, spiritual way. I want to see you living life and having a community. And don't use a church as an excuse to isolate and not have community around you. So that kind of application is based, back to your bigger point, is based off of my audience. I know my audience. I know their tendencies. Tim Keller would say, I know the idols of our region. Mm. I know the idols of our So I know the idols that they have the proclivity to bow down to. So I'm calling out those idols because I know that's what's happening in our world. Little pro tip. I just finished rereading Counterfeit Gods and there's oh. an appendix at the end. It's either a footnote or an appendix where he lists off all the idols and like, if you want application fodder, oh, yeah. just just get that page. Oh, I mean, it's it phenomenal. is unbelievable. And he does such a great job in his communication. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it specific, right? As a writer, as a speaker, yeah. when you're like, wow. And then you get emails. It's like, you read my mail. Like, how Literally. did you know? How did you know? Literally. When you go the third, when you go the extra mile and bring the application, people will literally be like, how did you know? Were you on the yeah. phone? Did you yeah. get my messages? Did you? That's why, honestly, I don't like to talk to people before church mm. because I've had it happen before. People will talk to me before church and then they think <laughs> I've inserted their stuff in the sermon because it's so applicable to their life. They're like, did you? And I was like, no, I didn't. I wouldn't even, if, first of all, if you think I was thinking that, I wouldn't even hear you because I was trying to memorize this sermon. I was trying to get this third point down. But I just kind of, I don't communicate with a lot of people before because I don't want anything to take away from them experiencing what God has for them and what he wants to say and their cynicism to get in the way of thinking, Albert, you did that because my wife talked to you or you said, somebody said something to you. Yeah. yeah. So in a similar vein to that end, I get a lot of those uh, conversations, emails, texts from people. It's like, how did you know? So in my last book, didn't see it coming. Some of the blog posts I write, some of the other stuff I do or the talks I give, 
I have people say to me all the time, how did you know? Well, one mm. of the secrets to that is, no, this was in my head. Mm. Like, this was my struggle. I struggled with insecurity. I'm struggling with being the control freak. I'm struggling. So I'll say, hey, you may be struggling with control or whatever. And they're, how did you know? And I'm like, well, that's actually just a brain dump out of my head. Do you ever do that as a all communicator? All the time. Yeah. I think that's how you really connect with people because I don't, I not only give the generality, but then I begin to talk about the symptoms of what it is mm. because I'm, I'm because I'm experiencing them. So I know what it's like to be a control freak and I know the anxieties that come with that. I know what it's like to, so for example, one of the big ones when I first started, I had a season where I struggled with pornography significantly mm. and I talked about what that struggle is and what it feels like and what it looks like and how it shows up um, and how it never satisfies, but you find yourself longing and desiring and grabbing for something that really won't satisfy you and the isolation and the loneliness. And when I begin to talk about that, guys are really relating. And then the disrespect and the betrayal that the wife feels, got women, and they really relate to that because I'm telling my own story. I'm talking about my own life. So I know what it's like when I'm talking to pastors and I talk about the loneliness and the isolation. Most of the time on these conferences, at these conferences, we don't talk about that. Most people aren't, aren't platforming that. But for me, there are seasons where I felt like nobody really understands the struggle. I feel very isolated. I feel very lonely. And there are moments when you can be standing in front of thousands of people, hearing that applause, get back in your car, and you feel absolutely alone and mm -hmm. isolated because that applause did nothing to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Although you gave something to God, it was all for God. It was all holy and it was all beautiful. How can you do something so holy and beautiful and then still be so empty? When I start talking about that, that relates with pastors because I'm telling my own story. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that yeah. season of your life? Um, well, Cause it is, I mean, I, I did stats recently. It's like 90, 98% of all men on planet earth have sought out porn. Not like, ooh, accidentally stumbled on yeah. it, but sought it out in the last six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, No, oh yeah, well, I mean, it's the huge epidemic. To be honest, Lisa Ling did, just did a special on CNN where she talked about just the, the, the negative effect of pornography that it does. So the unwiring and the reworking and the work that the Holy Spirit had to do within me uh, was phenomenal. But the problem is not, for me, it was not pornography. It was me knowing what to do when I felt isolated, when I wanted connection, when I wanted intimacy, when I wanted mm. not just sexual intimacy, when I wanted just connection, you want to feel. Um, uh. And what's coming out of that is that's an easy, cheap way to feel very quickly, but that feeling fleets in a matter of seconds. So once you've looked at pornography, you've done that, the emptiness that comes right after that is so hollow, it makes you feel worse than you did before. So it's learning how to say, I'm really longing for God. What does it mean for me to reach for the one that I'm actually longing for instead of me reaching for a cheap counterfeit? Let me reach for God. So filling those moments and acknowledging, guys, you're actually longing for something real. Mm. So it's not like you're just the, the worst thing we can do with this conversation is cheapen it and say, you're just the perv, get it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're just the perv. No, there's something deeper going on. There's something happening and you need a better way to respond to what's really happening. And what you found is a cheap counterfeit way to respond, which is happening in other areas of culture. When you look at the opioid deal and all the pills that people are taking and all this stuff, or, we are finding ways to numb ourselves and to cope with life. And we found cheap counterfeit ways to do it. When God is saying, I'm offering something real and something substantial, um, but you've got to come after me and not coming after cheap, quick fixes. Um, because God isn't cheap. He's not quick and he's not a fix. He, his grace is, is priceless and it's not quick, it's eternal. And it's more than a quick fix. It's a wholeness. It's a complete transformation. So he's calling us to something deeper and you'll never get there by grabbing pornography. Now you knew that all along, right? Like, like the theology underneath that was not, that's not rocket science. Yeah. But how did you discover that? Like, what was the process of going, oh, that's what this is? Instinctly, I knew, theologically, I know this is bad, this is wrong. I didn't know what was happening in me. I, yeah. I didn't know that yeah. I'm really longing for community. Mm. So instead of, instead of looking at porn, call your homeboy and be like, yo, bro, I'm struggling. This is a real thing. I, I got a best friend, a uh, group of us, we call and we say, man, I'm struggling. Let's get together. Let's hang out. Let's, let's kick it. Or they'll pray for me. Or I lean into my wife, not for sex, 
because mm. it's not her job to try to curb my porn uh, struggle, but I lean in for intimacy and connection. I, I need to find something real and get it around me quickly. So real friendship, real connection with my spouse or my family or physical activity. Go play golf. Get out of the yeah. house. Turn the lights on. Get out of that room. Go play some basketball. Go for a walk. Go jog. Engage it. That part isn't rocket science either, but it's about knowing the I, I, theologically what's happening, but even emotionally, psychologically, and biologically what's happening with me also helps me to know that um, it also helps with the lies that I'm just a pervert. I'm just inappropriate. I'm just, man, I'm just screwed. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. No, you're more than that. You've, you've got challenges that you need the Holy Spirit to help you work through or may need to get some counseling. There are tools to get you there. You just got to know that this is a problem big enough that's worthy of you finding tools other than just your willpower. This isn't something you white knuckle. Oh, I'm just going to try harder. Hmm. No, the gospel isn't about trying harder. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about resting in what Christ has done. How do I rest better in the peace and the shalom and the identity that Christ provides for me? Because right now I'm not resting. Right now I'm grabbing cheap counterfeits and it's hurting me. It's hurting my family. Um, it's doing... The, the Imago Day, those girls on those sites, those guys on those sites that you're objectifying, they're made in the image of God. That's yeah. God's daughter. That's God's yeah. son. So even that helps me to say I can't go there because that's God's daughter. And I can, so, so bringing all of that to bear helps on the road and journey to freedom. That's been such a pivotal thought for me realization for me when it comes to lust or porn or anything like that. That's wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody is made in the image of God. And if you can see the soul behind the person and the heart and the love that God has for them, it's, it's, it's life changing. It changes the game. It opens, it opens your eyes to see them clearly. How has, how has you, your wrestling with porn and sort of, you know, I don't know whether there's ever a victory because temptation continues, but you know, it's not the active struggle it was years ago. How has that changed your marriage and your leadership. Um, a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I what I had no idea, and I think I'm still discovering, even with my wife, even in recent conversations with with she and I, I'm still discovering the level of betrayal and impact that it had on her. Yeah. And I just and I just grieve that uh, because you don't you're not thinking about that. So there's a, there's my understanding of pornography, there's her understanding and then there's like the truth of what it really is and how do we acclimate. So counseling and conversations and tools because it's so present with everybody and all around. How do we navigate that? So there's a there's a there's a grieving um that's on a low burn now, but I think it's still it it have impacted my marriage and impacted my wife more than I realize and more than she gave voice to at the time. Part of it, because I'm not even sure if she was able to articulate the depth of insecurity that it tapped on. Mm -hmm. So you got to realize the enemy wants to destroy us all. (laughs) So if the enemy can use me to double down on lies that he's been telling my wife, and if use her to double down on insecurities that he's been whispering to me, oh man, uh, he wins. I I talk about this whole bit in Genesis where um, the snake is speaking to the wife. Um, and sometimes I think we speak in the tone of the snake. Uh, we, we talk to the snake in a way that, I mean, we talk to the wife in the way that resonates with what the snake has been saying. So in other words, what happened with me is the enemy was talking to my wife about insecurity, struggles with sexuality in the sense of us being intimate and sex and, and all this struggling. And then pornography shows up. Well, that completely goes in line with some of the lies and some mm-hmm. of the doubt that he's already mm-hmm. been sowing in her. So yeah. when I show up with that, I double down on a narrative that the snake has already been giving. Yeah. And for me to Does he really to love that, you? Does oh, he really care just, about you? Just yeah. all of those insecurities and doubts. So what I've what I've what I've learned is that number one, um, I've got to do a lot of work to lean in and to love and to reverse those lies. And as a leader, as a pastor, as a shepherd, I want to be as transparent and as vulnerable as possible because I know Many, 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 many men are struggling with some of the same thing, but very, 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 very few are talking about it and the reality of that struggle. And the more we can shine light on it, the more we can open it up, uh, the less uh, strategy the enemy can implement in our lives and in our ministries. I'm so grateful you would talk about that. We hadn't planned that, but um, Albert, just thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Talk about the pressures of leadership. Yeah. 
Because you are, I mean, we started the interview that way. You have a lot of fun. You're a fun guy. Yeah. Every time I see you, you always got a smile on your face. Yeah. Um, fun and leadership don't always go hand in hand. No. I no. talk to a lot of leaders who are just like ground down. They're tired. They're exhausted. And that's true whether you're you're leading something small or large. Yeah. Leadership is hard. You lead a large church. Yeah. Talk about fun and leadership. Like, what do you do in your life that's that's fun? What keeps at least a good amount of joy yeah. in your day-to-day? Well, I think uh, my wife and my kids are amazing and hilarious, and we just have a lot of fun together mm. um, intentionally. Um, it, it's it's just really a big deal. Ray Johnston says something, pastor of Bayside up in Sacramento, California. He says the pastor's number one job is to stay encouraged mm. um, because once you get disencur- dis, uh, discouraged, it opens up the door for everything else. Uh, but if you can stay encouraged, um, it helps you as a leader thrive. One of the greatest gifts to me are a group of guy friends that we get together who are all pastors, and we get together in a very unfiltered way, and we talk about the realities of where we go and what we struggle with and our victories, our losses, uh, sermon ideas. We just get together in that community I don't know how I would make it without it. And I see guys out there doing it by themselves and ladies out there doing it by themselves and living in isolation. Nobody knows what they're struggling with. No one knows their insecurities. No one knows the person on staff that uh, that they don't like, that they wish they could get off, but they can't, <laughs> or the elder that they, you know what I mean? Like there's some real things yeah. that are happening that they can't talk to anybody about. And it's, I, I wouldn't be able to survive like that. So God has blessed me with some great friends that I can sit in a circle with and do life with. God has blessed me and my wife with some great couples that we can do life with and really talk about real things. We talk about, we got a couple that we talk about sex and they mentor us, they pastor us, they encourage us and we hold each other accountable. If the sex count is getting low, we we challenge it. I literally, this is the truth. Story. I, yeah, yeah. The text message. I literally went over to a guy's house the other day. We were talking and I was like, man, y'all need that. Y'all need to have sex. It's been a long time. I could just y'all y'all are discouraged. Y'all y'all need to have sex. Send me a text tonight with a confirmation. It's a fireworks text of confirming <laughs> that y'all have actually done it. And bro, one a.m. I got a fireworks text, and you know what I said? I sent back, "Amen, praise Amen. the Lord." And then he sent me a text that says, "Hey, this week we want to set a three times three times this week challenge." So we're going to see if we can have sex three times. Are y'all in for a challenge? I looked at my wife. I was like, babe, you in? She was like, I'm in. So, which was this week, by the way. So which that's is, why I'm excited. So that's why you got the that's, smile oh on your face Oh, my God. I'm today. so happy. I can sing <laughs> Handel's Messiah up in here, man. But, but a part of the key to having fun and leadership, I think, is accountability. I think having yeah. a community around you and having a safe space to really live out loud. Everyone, Mm. someone should know everything. You shouldn't have these isolated spaces. And that's the freedom to having fun. You can't have fun if you don't have freedom. If you're living in secrecy and silence and struggling with stuff that nobody knows about, your fun is just, uh, it's just a performance. It's just a performance. If you want to have authentic fun, you got to have authentic freedom. Mm. How did you cultivate those kinds of relationships and that kind of dialogue? Yeah, so you start you start slow. I'm not talking about ten people. I'm talking no. about two, maybe three. Um, and you're looking for kindred spirits. You're looking for vulnerability. You're yeah. looking for friends that aren't judgmental, uh, that aren't always talking about what they have. Friends that have proven a sense of humility. Mm. Friends that have proven a sense of loyalty. So, and friends that have just as much to lose as you do. You know what I mean? Right, right. So don't- So it's a pretty equal relationship. It's a pretty equal relationship. And it's it's not about status, but it's just about they get it. You know what I mean? Because you need, this is a friend. This isn't like pastoral mentor type. No, no, no. This is a circle of peers. So whether it's a business leader, someone that knows what it's like to have employees. So that way when you're venting about employees, they can give you perspective, whether it's another pastor- And it can be cultivated slowly, but it needs to be intentional. And you don't need to allow your fear of being, um, of someone being disloyal or someone or someone not being safe. Don't allow that fear to cause you to delay on building these friendships. Find a couple of guys. And and here's the deal. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, Mm. say, would you lay a couple of people on my heart, Lord, this year so that I can build some relationships with and lead with it and say, brother, I'm. I'm going to be honest. I'm looking for some relationships where I can be vulnerable. I got a lot going on. I need a safe space. Man, are you willing to to enter into that kind of relationship and just do that? It sounds weird to say, but bro, I'm telling you, people are looking for it. Ladies, I'm telling you, people are looking for it. And they exhale and they're like, yeah. So we got guys. And we don't talk every day. It's not like we're- No, together. no. We, but once six weeks or something, we'll send a text and we'll get together and we will just, oh man, and this happened. And I had to let this person go. And this is the party line. 
but I get to give you the real of how I felt about it and how I was hurt and betrayed. What room does the pastor get to say that actually hurt me? Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what room can we say that in? Well, and for those people who are in ministry, I think it's a lot, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, people in the C-suite who listen to this, both in corporate and in yeah. the ministry thing. And the problem is you've always, and I love our elders or our board members, yeah. right? But the reality is you have a relationship that can bear about 98% of the weight of life, but not that 2%. Nope. And because you've got that relationship where you're accountable to them or they're accountable to you. And if you're the CEO, if you're the senior pastor, you end up having the power to hire and fire everybody in your organization. And you think they're my friend and they are your friend. But on the other hand, they also know you can fire me tomorrow. Exactly. And I'm out on the street. So it's, I think it's that last two to 10% that, that is the vacuum in a lot of leaders' lives. And they're like, I got nowhere to go. And your spouse can't bear the weight of that. No. No. And I don't think it's fair to put that all on your spouse. And people have said, well, I tell my spouse everything. Well, she's tired of it. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> because, because here's the thing. Sometimes I'll work through it, uh-huh. but her, she didn't benefit from the conversation that we had. So I can say, hey, that thing with Jimmy, we worked it out. She's like, huh, worked it out, huh? I still don't like what he said. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, she, so we had the staff party and she rolling her eyes at Jimmy because, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So it creates a, it creates a dynamic there. Everyone who has a boss needs a place to be able to lament and invent some of those things. Because here's the thing for me. People say, well, Albert, it's just not personal. You can't take it personally. I hadn't figured out how to do that yet. Mm. Um, When people leave, it's personal. When people are upset or don't say, are are dishonest or disingenuous about their experience, it's personal. When, um, When something happens bad, even if it's I contributed to it, it's still personal for me. And I know how to handle it professionally and I walk around and all that, but I need a room to be in where I can look around and say, guys, that was that was personal and it hurt. Hmm. They left and I didn't appreciate the way they left or they said this or this elder called me out on this and it was completely out of, re- I need a room to say, that wasn't cool, that hurt. And I need someone to look at me and say, bro, I'm sorry. Yeah. Me, and, me and my friend, we, we got a, a thing. Ricky Jenkins, he's one of the pastor of Southwest Church in uh, Indian Wells in Palm Springs area, the biggest church out in that area, just doing a phenomenal job. Something will hit the fan, and we're venting, and at the end, we'll just say to each other, man, I'm sorry. Hmm. And it sounds so simple, but it is the most healing thing. It's like, yes, I needed that from somewhere. I needed that. Now I can go on. I'll do what I got to do. You know what I mean? But just having someone to look at you say, bro, I understand. And I'm sorry. (laughs) That's so good. Albert, you have talked about personality-driven leadership. And you have big personality. Yeah. On stage, off stage, you have big personality. Can you talk a little bit about that tension between the personality and, and that's one of the criticisms of the kind of church that you and I lead or yeah. the kind of company, you know, is that, well, that's just a big personality. It's all yeah. going to fall apart when Albert Tate isn't there anymore yeah. one day. You want to talk a little bit about personality-driven leadership? Oh, man. it's It's been something that's that's been a challenge for me because yeah. I do have a big personality, but the conversation hasn't helped me. To be honest, it's doubled down on insecurities with me, mm. and it's tempted me to have to shrink or shade who I am, as opposed to lean in fully to who I am. I think it creates this abusive dynamic where, for me, I'm trying to fight against being personality driven, but it's my personality, so it's who I am. So it's not like I said, I want it to be about me. No, nothing about me announces that I want it to be about me, but I I am who I am. Yeah, you're- and Do I get to be who I am? Do I get to be on the stage and lean in fully and live out loud and to do that? And for a lot of times I wrestled with my spiritual identity in Christ. Do I get to do that? Um, even even the audacity to doing a podcast, who do you think you are? Like, mm. oh, so you're a person out, so you're gonna do a podcast because people wanna listen. So to, to me, seated in that critique, for me, it lands on some of the most insecure parts of me and it causes me to question who I am. I, I had to grow through the place to where I think what people are saying is that the ministry is more than just you. And if they look at our church, we've got discipleship happening. We've got a team of great other pastors. We've got other communicators that communicate great. Nothing about how we're designed or structured says it's all about the Albert Tate show. But when people give that critique, where it lands on me spiritually is it double downs on insecurity that says, man, do I get to be me? Or do I have mm. to be some abbreviated, shortened version of myself so that other people can be comfortable with the anointing and the call that's on my life? Now, you can imagine where I concluded. I just said, you know, 
I've got to hear the criticism. So I don't want to dismiss it. And I want to build a ministry where I can be there or not. And it still runs. And I feel like we have that. However, I do think there are some things inside of me that God wants to do in the earth for his glory. Um, and I'm, and I'm humbled by that, but I want to lean into that. So yes, I want to be on the stage. I want to tell the greatest story that's ever told. I want to invite conversations through podcasts, through books. I've got something to say, and I think it's worthy of an audience. And regardless of whether I have a big personality or not, I feel like God wants to do some things through me, and I want to push through that. And I think that maybe people out there listening that have a big personality, that feel like you got to shrink in order to fulfill other people's expectations, blow right past that. Hear the critique, walk in humility, allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, and speak. Say what God has put in you to say. Make that album, write that book, do that podcast. Don't allow the the who do you think you are question to cause you to question that. Who do you think you are? Tell them who you think you are. I'm a child of God called by him to fulfill his purposes in the earth for his glory. That's who I think I am. And because of that, I'm going to do it. You've mentioned it a few times in our conversation, but insecurity, how has that been a battle for you? And what have you, how are you working through that? I think it's playing down the voices of who the world says I am, uh, who they say that I am, and who God say that I am. Mm. And I feel like the insecurity deal, it, it, it shows up in all of us, and it starts early. It starts on yeah. the playground in the third grade. It starts when you didn't get picked to be on the basketball team or whatever that thing is, and it just gets longer and louder. So I feel like there's a recording tape that we've all got to just identify name and then begin to call out and say, yeah, that's an insecurity because of what happened when I was young, or that's an insecurity because of the job that I didn't get, or that's just an insecurity because of my size, or that's just an insecurity because of my color. That's just an insecurity because of this. Naming those things and saying, now, Holy Spirit, who am I according to you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not the most intelligent. So I didn't graduate from seminary. I dropped out of high school. I got my GED. Um, so I've always been insecure about my intellect. So when I'm sitting in rooms, I was the other day I was on the stage with John MacArthur. And I, just, I was just so glad he came late because I was like, if this guy hears my sermon, he's probably going to release a blog and, and, <laughs> and just be like, this is ungodly. You know what I mean? You know, MacArthur, yeah, yeah. it's just like, ooh, Mufasa, ooh, say it again. MacArthur, <laughs> ooh, you know what I mean? It's like, this dude, you know. So I, I yeah, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> I won't get in trouble about that. But I, when I get around people, like a good friend of mine is the president of Fuller Seminary, Mark Laverton. Mm-hmm. Mark Laverton will come and sit in the middle of my church on the third row and to preach in front of someone that's fired homiletics teachers. You see what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's intimidating. But the Lord says, this is who I've called you to be. This is, how, this is how I've wired you. This is how I've gifted you. And to have someone like Mark Laverton come alongside and says, Albert, that was a phenomenal sermon. Here's how it blessed me. Uh, for me to invite Mark Laberton. Here's another thing to say, hey, listen to three of my sermons and give me feedback. Oh, wow. So that punches that insecurity in the gut. You know what I mean? It punches it in, in the throat. It's like, I'm not about a, the fear of insecurity to limit me. I'm about to take that fear and squash it by inviting feedback, inviting confirmation. And he, I mean, some of the most gracious feedback I've ever gotten in my life. And he just poured into that. So that's how I feel like I've overcome insecurities, but how we all need to overcome them. Let's name them, identify them, and then invite the Holy Spirit to tell you the truth about who you are, where that insecurity is threatening to tell you a lie that you're, that you're really tempted to believe. Some of us are more likely to believe the lie than the truth. To me, when I see that show up in my life, that's when I need to inundate my soul with truth so that I can know the difference between the truth and the lie that's trying to infiltrate my soul. Alfred, this has been so rich. What's uh, what's next for you? What are you looking at as you head to the future? So I'm excited about, uh, I'm launching a, a digital talk show called Kingdom Conversations, where I want to just sit down and have conversations really uh, and just invite God's kingdom in and shape culture. So talk to people that are in the entertainment industry, everyday people, ministry people, and just talk about how the kingdom is just invading areas of their life and encourage ordinary people to trust and follow an extraordinary God. So that's one of the things I'm working on. I have the Albert Tate podcast. Um, I'm finishing a book proposal. Uh, so hopefully it will have a book out in the next year or so. And uh, the big, uh, another big thing, we've been talking a lot about communication. So I'm launching a preaching masterclass. We haven't even gone public yet. Uh, but uh, by the time this comes out, probably it will be. But a preaching masterclass where we're going to invite just some masterclass faculty 
to come and open it up. We're going to only open it up to a small audience. We're going to cap the audience. So we're going to invite people. So if you hear about it, sign up. If you want to come and be trained on preaching, some of the best communicators in the country will be there. And we're going to have two and a half days of intensive on masterclass preaching. So I'm excited. I'm really excited about that. And all things Albert Tate can be found where online? On all things Albert Tate online. So Albert Tate on Twitter, Instagram, social media, albertate.com. You can go to the website, all that kind of stuff. You can follow and See what God's doing as I lean into who God thinks I am. <laughs> <laughs> Albert, I'm so grateful for you. All of our uh, time together has been so, so rich, yeah. and so is this conversation. I really appreciate you. You encourage me. You bless me. Mm. And uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Carrie, honored to be here. And really, I'm calling my mama. Call the prayer wars off. I've been on the Carrie Newhoff show. I've officially <laughs> made it. I've made it. <laughs> Love you, man. Thanks. Love you. Well, that was funny and rich and real and all that stuff. And guys, if you want transcripts, you can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 301. Or you could, the easy way, because you know everybody knows how to spell my name, is to go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and search Albert Tate, and you'll find it there. Also, make sure you check out Albert's podcast. He interviewed me. We had a great conversation. Later in this episode, in just a few minutes, I'll do Ask Carrie and tell you a piece of advice that I got early on that really, like really early in high school that I still think about all the time. And in the meantime, if you want to save some money on healthcare in 2020, go to remodelhealth.com forward slash Carrie to get your free buyer's guide. Be one of the churches that saves now over a million dollars that they plowed right back into their mission. And if you are looking for a custom growth solution that will ignite what you're doing online, head on over to promediafire.com forward slash 2020. They're looking for 20 churches. It's application. Not everybody will be accepted. They're going to hyper like stimulate your social media, your website, all that stuff to help you reach more people in 2020. So head on over to promediafire.com forward slash 2020 to get more on that. Well, uh, we got a lot of guests coming up that you are going to be excited about. Uh, Carlos Whitaker, Rebecca Lyons, Larry Osborne, John Mark Comer, Jasmine Starr, and so many more. That's just 2019. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Plus you get the back archive with, yeah, now over 300 episodes of just what we hope will be leadership fuel for you. And next week, uh, I had another in-person conversation where I sat down with Steve Green, who is the president of Hobby Lobby. And this is a fascinating conversation. For those of you, not only in church world, but in the marketplace, we talked about the rise of the Hobby Lobby empire, why their retail is still growing when everyone else is shrinking, and so much more. Here's an excerpt. Yeah, when I was in high school, I remember uh, one of my teachers, which is a coach, making a comment, joking about how that, uh, you know, our family, when the ashtrays filled up, we would, you know, sell our car and buy a new one as if we were affluent. And, and, you know, you you look back and you don't see that it was being all that affluent. When I graduated high school, we had eight stores. Now, that's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it was not to the degree or the pressure it was today, it's still, we were still struggling at the time. As a matter of fact, a few years after I graduated and was working full-time in the business, my father thought we were going to go out of business uh, because of the struggles in the economy. Guys, that's uh, next week. I also love the part of the conversation where I talked to Steve about why they pay their entry-level workers double the minimum wage. It's just fascinating. I love it when people break models and conventional wisdom. So that's an awful lot of fun on, on that one, guys. And if you subscribe, you get it all automatically. Well, on to Ask Carrie. And so the question this week is, what is one piece of advice you have received that helped dramatically shape your approach to leadership? I'll tell you exactly what it is. And I got it in high school in a really strange setting. So I was kind of a a nerdy, annoying kid in high school. And there was this TV show at the time. I'm Canadian, so this was in Canada. It was called Reach for the Top. And it was basically a trivia show for high school students. So I was on the Reach for the Top team. And they would just ask you, you know, who did this work of art? It's kind of like Jeopardy. That's really the closest analogy. And so we would practice after school multiple times a week just with these trivia questions. And of course, you know, that's based on how much you've read and how much you know. And I I was okay at it, but my coach, you know what he kept telling us? Because really what what Jeopardy is and what Reach for the Top was, is you've got to come up with the answer fast. Like having the right answer 
right after, you know, two seconds after the other guy has the answer, it's not going to help you win. And so his piece of advice was simply this, trust your gut, trust your gut, trust your gut, trust your gut. Because you look at it, I'm just picking at a piece of art. You look at a piece of art and go, oh, that's a Picasso. And then you're like, well, is it a Picasso? I don't know. Is it a Picasso? And you start to overthink it, right? And he says, trust your gut. He says that first instinct, that first like, oh, I know what it is. He said, that is right a lot of the time. So in leadership, this is how it translates to to my time in, in leadership as an adult, leading organizations, churches, companies, that kind of stuff. And even in law, you know, where you got to come up with a, a argument in the courtroom on the spot. It's like, I've, I'm like, okay, what's, what's your gut telling you? And often with something like, um, you know, you're trying, let's say you're hiring somebody and you're like, I don't know, there's something about this person. I'm not really sure. But then you like talk yourself out of that. And then eight months later, they're leaving staff and you're like, you know, I knew there was something there, but I didn't know what that was. You know what that is? That's trusting your gut. Your gut is telling you something. There's something in your subconscious. Same with sometimes I look at, because I have, you know, a large team for this now. And sometimes we look at ideas and of course I don't come up with all the ideas and I'm like, nah, that doesn't really work. Now I'm open and I want to be open to my team. And sometimes, you know, they'll tell me things and I'm like, oh, you guys are absolutely right. I'm wrong. But if something seems a little bit shady or a little bit, not that people are doing shady things, but you know, a little bit like, I don't think that feels like us, or I don't think that's really us or no, I'm going to, you know, I had an opportunity uh, because we have a lot of people who want to sponsor this podcast and I'm very fussy about that and you know, who gets in and who gets on and you know, obviously they pay to sponsor it, but I've walked away from a lot of money because I'm like, nah, they're not our right partner. And I had an incident recently where somebody wanted on the show and I'm like, nah, and I had my reasons and obviously I'm not going to tell you what or who or why. Uh, but then I, I checked it with the team and they're like, you know what, you're probably right. And so we walked away from that. And I think you just have to trust your gut. Now, sometimes your gut's going to be wrong and you're like, well, when is it right? When is it wrong? I don't know. Okay. There's the reality of leadership. I don't know. I don't know when it's right. I don't know when it's wrong, but sometimes if it's ethical or moral, it's, it's really good to err on the side of caution. And then, of course, if you're really not sure, you know, you're not on Jeopardy, you're not, you don't have to press the buzzer right away. That's when you go to your team and say, hey, you know, I just had this feeling about this partner, about this person we're going to hire or about this decision we're making. It doesn't feel quite right to me. What do you guys think? And then you have a really good discussion about it. And sometimes your gut's wrong. Sometimes your gut is right. But I'm still trying to lean into that first initial reaction. Uh, Trust your gut trust your gut. So that's one piece of advice that for 40 years now I've been leaning into. Hope that helps. Thanks for asking. You can submit your question on any uh, social media channel, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. On Instagram, I'm Carrie Newhoff. Please do a follow. I'm pretty active personally there. We also share a lot of our content on Facebook and Twitter. I'm C. Newhoff there and uh, leave your question. Uh, We will find it and hopefully we will feature it. So next week, we'll bring you another Ask Carrie. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.